welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I'm like, Pastor Bernie, I want to talk about generosity. Can I talk about generosity? Please, can I talk about generosity? And he said, okay, you can talk about generosity. So this is what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. Now, usually when you tell a church that you're going to talk about generosity, they have a number of reactions. The first is nervousness. The second is fear. And then there is immediate grabbing of the wallet to make sure no one can get it out of your hand. If you don't have a wallet, sometimes you hide your purse. Let me put your mind at ease. This is not a prelude to a capital campaign. And this is not an introduction leading to a special offering. I want nothing from you this morning. What I want for you is for you to be able to step into something even deeper than what you've experienced to this point. We're going to look at the life of Abraham, and I'm just going to share with you some of the lessons that Wendy and I have learned, because this has been one of the most liberating, challenging, and life-giving journeys that we have been on in the 24 years that we've been married. And I want to tell you, I'm super excited. I'm excited because I understand what generosity opens the door to. The genius of generosity is how it positions us to live into our God-given assignment as stewards of his creation. And I take that all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where God created And it was amazing. It was perfect. It was beautiful. And he placed Adam and Eve in that garden. And he said to them, I have provided all of this for you. I want you to take care of it for me. And the Bible word that he uses is I'm giving you dominion over it. And what that means is Adam, Eve, I am giving you all that I've created. And what I want you to do is steward it to care for it in a way that makes everything around you thrive. This is what you and I were created to do. This is what Jesus invites us to become when we join him on this journey of faith that we're on. Stewards of creation. It's not an Old Testament principle. God never went back to Adam and Eve and went, well, you blew it, so that job is done. As a matter of fact, it's it's called the creation mandate, if you're curious, which you probably aren't. Um, But Jesus, excuse me, God reaffirms it in Genesis 3 after the fall. You and I have been positioned by God to care for his creation in a way that makes everything around us thrive. Often when we talk about generosity, we think of generosity in terms of need. This person needs something, so you should give. The church needs something, so you should give. The school needs something, so you should give. And yes, we should move to meet needs when we see them, but generosity is not a need-based activity. Generosity is an opportunity to live out discipleship and God-given responsibility. And the beauty of Jesus, what makes this so, so just genius, is as we do it, as we live into this assignment, it also safeguards our heart. It teaches us lessons of faith and dependency, And it aligns us with the mission of God. This is what I want to talk about. And I may talk too loudly and I may talk too quickly uh, because I'm excited. At some point, Wendy may stand at the back going like this. And that is our our code for you are talking way too fast. She is a gift. So as I said, we're going to talk about generosity in the context of Abraham's life. And here's what I want you to know about Abraham. Abraham was given by God a promise that he was going to be a blessing to every generation that was to follow, that through him, every nation on earth was going to be blessed. 
That promise was tied to a place. God says, follow me to the land I'm going to show you. So he has this promise from God, and he has this place. The reason I want you to hold those two things in mind as we talk about generosity is there is a moment in time when Abraham, the place could be jeopardized. Abraham has to make a decision about how he preserves the place that God has given him. Now, lucky for Abraham, in our conversation this morning, we're talking about a time that Abraham really got it right. But what I love about the Bible, what I love about our God is he, he doesn't hide the places that people got it wrong. And so lest we hold Abraham up as a standard that, that indicts us because we're not doing as well as he did, I just want to remind you that in the preceding chapter, Abraham has blown it. Not a little bit blown it, like big time blown it. There's a drought in the place God's given him, so he goes to Egypt. Never a good place for the Hebrews, by the way. And when he gets there, Pharaoh sees his wife and goes, well, she's cute. I think I want to marry her. Is she related to you in any way? And Abraham's like, oh, yeah, that's my sister. Great Valentine's Day message, by the way, that I have never preached. Abraham lies because he thinks it's on him to hold on to the provision and the promise of God. He gives her away to Pharaoh. Now, God being God doesn't let that stand. Pharaoh finds out Sarah's actually his wife, is more than a little angry, and gives him the right foot of fellowship. Just boom, right out of Egypt. But God being God, even when we make significant mistakes, God does not withhold his hand of blessing from Abraham. Abraham actually comes out of Egypt with greater resources than he went in, having learned his lesson. So as we, as we talk about this journey together, my, my hope Really, my prayer for you is that this is an encouragement that you see something God is making available to you, not an indictment like, oh, I, I should do better. Yeah, we should all do better most of the time. Matter of fact, I know what an interesting topic this can be to sit and listen to. And I know that each of us carries a rich history of good and of challenge. I'm so committed, and I so want God to, to unlock something that blesses you today that I just want to stop and pray so that if any of us are wrestling with that and it kind of keeps us from hearing clearly what the Holy Spirit wants to say, that God will just wipe that out. Can we do that? Good. I'm going to do it anyway. God, you are a good God. And every man, woman, young person in this room has been called by you and empowered, Lord God, to extend your kingdom and steward your creation. Jesus, it is an incredible privilege and an awesome opportunity. And the world has lied to us time and time again, saying that you have to hold on to whatever you have because it won't be enough. But Lord, the story of the gospels, the story of the Bible is whatever we release to you, not only has an impact for your kingdom, but comes back to you in greater measure than it left our hand. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to let us hear afresh, those of us who are listening for the first time and those of us who have walked with you generously for decades, we ask that you would speak a fresh word of life to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm in Genesis 13. I'm gonna read a couple chapters. We're gonna talk, or chapters, easy, easy, verses. I'm gonna read a couple verses. I know there's a football game. We'll talk about those verses, read a couple more. We're just going to kind of walk through this passage that way. 
So this is uh, verses 5 through 7. This is right after Lot and Abraham came out of Egypt. It says in verse 5, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. So if you're new to this story, Lot is Abraham's nephew. He's followed Abraham everywhere he has gone. And they have been blessed by God. Abraham's been blessed because of his obedience. Lot's been blessed really because of his association with Abraham. Now, having come out of Egypt and as a direct result of the blessing of God, their herdsmen begin to quarrel. So they're looking at everything they have, right? Agrarian society, nomadic lifestyle. They have, they have flocks and they have herds and, and they're looking at how much God has provided for them. And then they're looking at the land and going, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to support us both. So the herdsmen begin to argue, begin to fight about grazing rights and water. Who should have first access to both? Now, each of them are putting their chief's needs ahead of the others. The fact that they come into conflict is remarkable when you consider everything they have already been through together. Lot and Abraham together left Ur, walked by foot 500 miles around the Sahara Desert to land in Canaan, not having a map or any idea where they were going. Genesis 12, God says, Abraham, come to the land I'm going to show you. They've, they've both in this time navigated the loss of their fathers a major drought that caused them to move to Egypt, and then their shared failure there. But now, Abraham and Lot's people, which represent Abraham and Lot, come into conflict as they try to safeguard, hold on to the blessing that God has provided. So at this point, it's no longer about what God has done, but rather about what they have to do to somehow preserve what God's given them, which is a massive blessing. Without the right heart, hear me in this, without the right heart, a blessing can easily become a curse. If your heart is not open to receive and then to give, you begin to identify not what God has done, but what you have to do. When they had nothing to lose, there was no problem. I was thinking back to the early days when I was first married to Wendy. And when we got married, we were poor. We weren't poor, we were poor. I mean, we had... We had nothing. I was working as a janitor and a youth pastor. She was working at an entry-level job in a school district, not positions traditionally known for their high income. And yet we had decided early on in our marriage to posture ourselves as givers. And so we were tithing and looking for other opportunities to invest in people. And God just continued to bless us. It was great. We always had what we needed. And we also decided we were going to start putting money away. Now, we were putting money away in very small increments because we had very little. When our savings account hit $2,000, that number, why, I have no idea. Something shifted in me. I saw the bank statement, saw $2,000, and I panicked. We have to find a way to hold on to this. Like, dumb, right? I'm standing in the middle of a river of God's provision, when I had nothing to lose, I thought it was great. Now that I have something to lose, I feel like I have to maintain this. I have to hold on to this. And who knows that when you decide you're going to hold on to your money, you start getting really weird bills. Yay! So I actually start to get afraid. We're not going to have enough. We didn't have enough anyway. 
$2,000 was not a huge cushion. And so we decided together that the way we were going to conquer this fear was to give money away. Completely counterintuitive, right? Your friends would tell you you're idiots. We decided to intentionally look for people that we could bless, ways we could give money away, and we did. And when we gave money away, I immediately recovered my peace because generosity destroys the power of fear. Fear says you won't have enough because your God isn't enough. But generosity recognizes my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches. So if you find yourself in a place like Lot did, there's not enough grass, and you feel fear begin to encroach on your heart, I want to encourage you to make an intentional decision to invest in someone or something else. Because God brings freedom there. I heard one that's right and a whole bunch of, oh boy. (laughs) Try it. It works. So Abraham has to make a decision. What am I going to do? This is pretty good grazing land. There's a lot of water here. Doesn't seem to be enough for both of us. Guys are having in a fight, getting in a fight. Abraham chooses to invest in Lot. I'll show you in just a minute. And here's why. Generosity prioritizes people over possessions. Generosity sees the value in other people and makes an intentional investment in them that not only causes them to thrive, but preserves a relationship. What are the first two words that a child learns and we never know who teaches them? Not dad. I'm guessing there's an argument going on in your household right now about who, what kid loves who more. I think the first two words a kid learns when they get the power of reason and not just parroting are no and mine. Can I get an amen to that? Nope. How come that's the first good amen I've got this morning? I mean, I'm giving you guys some really good stuff. Oh, my kids, brother, you have no idea. And mine causes what between siblings? Fights. They're screaming, they're hitting, they're crying, they're snot everywhere, and you walk in and what? They're arguing over like a My Little Pony. What's a My Little Pony? You're too young. Talk to your parents. Abraham makes a decision to prioritize Lot over himself because that's what generosity does. Generosity recognizes who you have is more important than what you have. So listen to what happens. This is verse 8. Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you or me, between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Hold on to that phrase. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham, seeing the tension, makes an appeal for peace to Lot, and he says, we're brothers, which is great, but it's not true. Abraham is Lot's elder and his uncle. And in that culture, as head of the household, Lot owed Abraham duty, loyalty, fealty, and respect that a son would give his father. Abraham is the one who was given the promise, and Abraham is the one who was given the place. Lot's just along for the ride. Abraham is the power player in the relationship, and he can at any time say to Lot, get to stepping, this is mine. And Lot would just have to, yes, sir, and get going. 
And yet Abraham humbles himself and puts himself on an equal plane with his nephew, though he doesn't have to. Abraham humbles himself. Humility and generosity operate hand in hand. It says, I am not better than you. And so I will give you whatever I can. Abraham perhaps is looking centuries into the future where the apostle Paul will say, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Abraham naturally or by the spirit steps into that. A generous heart doesn't feel the need to fight for position. Hear me. A a generous heart doesn't feel the need to fight for position because a generous heart understands that everything they have received comes from God. They They don't have to play dirty at work to get a promotion. They don't have to lie to the IRS on their taxes to make sure they have what they need. Sorry if it's getting personal. Because they understand that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And because they have shown the Lord that that he can trust them with whatever he gives them as a generous person, there is a confident expectation that God will give back what it looks to others like they have lost. Abraham humbles himself to the point of taking the subordinate role. He does not insist on what he deserves. It could look like to everybody else in the family, that Abraham is putting his own future at risk in order to serve Lot. But Abraham, I believe, understands that God will safeguard his future because God made the promise. God provided the place. Scripture says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches. This is the promise that you and I get to walk in. Scripture does not say, John... Hold on to everything you have because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And if you don't, you're going to be in deep trouble. It says live as an open-handed person. Do you know what the word generosity means? There's a Greek word and a Hebrew word. The Greek word for generosity uh, has to do with, with, it means ready to distribute. And the picture is of someone who has their resources almost at their fingertips, looking for opportunity to distribute wherever they see opportunity. The Hebrew word for generosity means to saturate with water. You might go, well, that's weird. Sounds a little weird in our context. But in the ancient Near Eastern context, they understood that water was a source of life. And so the Hebrew word to saturate with water means to freely give life to others. So as we're talking about generosity and what God invites us into, we're talking about living our lives in a way that we're postured, ready with our resources to give life away to others who are in need of life. And then, we'll talk more about this next week, then we see how God returns to us whatever we've been given. Abraham is not at risk. His future is not at risk. And so he is able to give away everything. I mean, he says to Lot, take what you want. You pick. Abraham was not afraid it was going to compromise the outcome. A generous heart releases the outcomes to God. $2,000 was not going to solve my future financial issues. And so I could say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do with this? Because ultimately you're my provision. And so you're going to take me where you want me to go. 
It's up to you. It's not up to me. God had said he would bless Abraham. God had said that Abraham would be a blessing to others. This is not something someone else can mess up. When God speaks a word of promise, when God provides a place, this is not something that a human can compromise because it is breathed, it has been been instituted by the very spirit of God. So Lot, you can choose first. Whatever I give away, God can return. When I was a young pastor in Federal Way, Wendy and I had just started pastoring that church, and we thought it'd be a good idea to put on a marriage conference for, for the church. And so um, we, we invited this, this very well-known, very influential, successful pastor to come down. Great guy, um, former Marine pilot, served in Vietnam, one of the most intimidating men I have ever met. Loves Jesus, but he just he still has his Marine face on 24-7. So when he walks up to you, it's, it's 50-50 if he's going to hug you or hit you. You just... He's going to hug you, but his face isn't sure, right? So we, we have this conference, and, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and he, he speaks on a Sunday morning, and Wendy and I take him out to lunch. And he takes it upon himself to kind of coach and mentor a young pastor, which, yeah, great, let's go. Here's how he does it. He looks at me, and he says, what's your growth mechanism? <laughs> what? What's your growth mechanism? What are you doing to grow your church? What have you put in place? What are you, what are you hinging everything upon? And I, oh, shoot. Okay. Um, so I, I thought about it for a second and I said, well, we give away the best that we have. We had just sent a pastor to a town named Enumclaw. We'd sent another pastor to a town called Bellingham. So we'd lost two great staff members, but we just kind of went, let's build the kingdom this way. So I said, we, we, give, we give away the best we have. And I sat back like, great answer. And he looks at me and he goes, that'll never work. And in case it wasn't clear, he goes, sticks his finger out and goes, there's no tip to your spear. <laughs> Didn't know I was supposed to stab anybody. Okay. Um, and I sat there, I mean, I really kind of deflated for a second, and I'm, and I'm thinking about it, because he's concerned how I was going to grow my church. And as I sat in Azteca, I realized, no, I have postured myself this way because it's not my church. And if I can make an investment in other people that extends or expands the kingdom of God, even if my local faith community looks smaller than you might think it should, this is a net positive for me because I have learned to posture myself in a way that is stewarding God's church rather than trying to build my own. So we agreed to disagree. And I'm okay with that. Because I would rather be a person who freely gives than one who comes to the place where he feels he needs to hold on. So Abraham says to Lot, you pick. And this is what Lot says. Verse 9, Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Parenthetical notation, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. So they sat out probably on a hill and Abraham says, what looks good to you? Lot looks over toward the east and he goes, hey, that looks really fertile. It looks like Eden, looks like Egypt. Two places humanity had failed through fear or selfishness. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided we're going to be God. We want control. We want power. Didn't work out well. Abraham had just come from Egypt where fear caused him to give his wife away. Didn't work out well. 
Egypt will soon be in a few more generations where the people of Israel are enslaved for 400 years. Someone reading this in the Old Testament context or hearing the oral tradition would know it's never a good idea to go to Egypt. Things don't work well. And yet there is something attractive to Lot about those two areas that take him outside of the area that was the promise of God. Through the years, I've learned that a selfish heart lacks perspective. The irony is that the land that looks so appealing to him is about to be destroyed by fire. And what he thought was in his best interest was not in his best interest at all. When we pursue what looks best to our natural mind, we will invariably walk outside of the provision and the favor of God. This is the genius of generosity. It keeps us dead centered in God's will. But when I start chasing what I want, I find myself in Egypt. It's not great. When my brother was about three years old, we're sitting down for tacos. And I was about seven. He was about three. And we had a couple rules in our house, right? The first is you don't reach for food until we pray. And then you never eat out of a serving bowl, God forbid. You put it on your plate, put your napkin in your lap, your hand on your napkin, elbow off the table, and then you begin to eat. Anybody else? Yep. My mom had a larger-than-normal bowl of sour cream in the middle of the table. To my three-year-old brother, apparently that looked like whipped cream. So we're all sitting, waiting for mom to finish bringing stuff over to the table so we could sit down and dad could pray. And my brother's eyes are as big as saucers. And I'm watching as he kind of surreptitiously reaches for a spoon. I'm like, oh, bro, this is not going to work out well. You don't, you don't eat before we all sit down. And he starts to bring, and I, I mean, I know where he's going. I don't know why, because sour cream, yuck. Um, I like sour cream, just not by the mouthful. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready for like the hammer to fall. And I look over at my dad and my dad's kind of going like this. <laughs> he knows what's coming. So Matt reaches out, grabs a big scoop before anybody can stop him, puts it in his mouth. <laughs> He's in his 40s. He has not eaten sour cream again to this day. <laughs> what's the point? What looks good is not always good for you. You hear me? What looks good is not always good for you. What is good for you is center of God's will. Verse 12, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. Lot took off, Abraham stayed, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. This means that Lot chose to move outside of the land that God had promised him. He saw something that seemed in the short term more attractive to him than playing the long game of faithful obedience to the Lord. A selfish person will live for the moment while a generous person is building for the future. Abraham stayed right where he was, dead center in the land of Canaan, where he had built an altar to the Lord. God had originally called Abraham out of the cities in order to bless him. And a lot goes back. Generos- excuse me, greed will always pull us away from the promises of God. But generosity secures the promise for us. Greed 
gosh, and guys, it's so hard, right? Because things are so attractive. But when our motivation is what I want at the expense of what God might be doing, we find ourselves compromised and at risk, which is what is about to happen to Lot. Abraham stays in the land of promise. Lot heads down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and a region where, where the Hebrew text says men were wicked and sinning greatly. This is a unique Hebrew phrase, which means there was a level of iniquity that was unknown in human history. He didn't just walk up. There is no halfway. Can I just tell you that this morning? There's not, there's not I'm, I'm fully aligned with God. I'm living for my own purposes. No, I'm right in the middle, foot in each camp. I'm doing okay. It's kind of one or the other. So Lot goes for the other. The, the early hearers of this oral tradition would have understood some things about where Lot chose to go. They would have understood that that land was no longer fertile, that it was scorched earth, i.e. Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur, and fire. They would have thought back to perhaps Genesis 4 and the story of Noah and another time where people were sinning greatly. And so God wiped out the earth with a flood, saving only a few. Long story short, they would have understood that in pursuit of greed or his own desires, Lot was walking toward judgment while Abraham was secure in the promises of God. And so God pulls Abraham aside and he has this conversation. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had had departed, said, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All of the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. How long? Forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents again. He went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. Catch this. God goes for a walk with Abraham and he says, I want you to look around. I want you to look to the north, the south, the west, and the east. And everything you see, I am going to give not only to you and your descendants. Why is that interesting? Abraham just gave away everything to the east. That's where Lot went. God doesn't look at Abraham and say, hey, look, north, south, and west, and that's yours. Sorry about the east. Would have been nice, but you gave it away. His generosity not only secured his future, but it promised a return that was commensurate or greater with what he had given away. You've heard the phrase and it's become trite, but it is so spiritually true. You cannot outgive God. And so Abraham says to Lot, take it. And God says, take it back. It's coming back to you. If God has given it, No one can take it. This is why you and I get to live in generosity. It is a perpetual cycle. It is a perpetual agreement with God. You and I have been called to steward his creation, to allow his resources to flow through us in a way that benefits others and causes them to thrive. And God's promise to us is as long as you are doing that, I'm going to keep opening up the spout. You are not going to come to a place where you find yourself depleted or deficient because of what you've given away. Now, Lot comes to a place where he is deficient and depleted because of what he tried to take. 
By the end of the story, he's been taken captive in the war of the kings, and Abraham had to go save his rear end again. He has lost all of his earthly possessions in Lot, and he has lost his wife and gone running for his life. Abraham is blessed and blessed and blessed again. This is the genius of generosity. Not only do I get to experience what it means to feel fully alive because I am living into my God-given design, but I also have security that comes from knowing I will never be depleted because, as we said a moment ago, my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches. This is why when Pastor Bernie says, what do you want to talk about? I want generosity. Pick me. Generosity. It takes us back to the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2. And it points us forward into the future. Where, where we anticipate Jesus returning, looking at us and saying, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's have a party. That last part's my paraphrase. I hope this encourages you. I hope this excites you. Because I'm done. And if I haven't to this point, you're going to have to wait till next week, and I'll, I'll try harder. I want to pray for you before we go. Because where God invites you to live as a generous person, he's inviting you to make a spiritual statement. He's inviting you to declare to heaven and to earth that your God is greater than any need you might have. Every generosity, act of generosity, is an act of faith. It's living into the promise, not saying, I believe, but demonstrating, I believe. And every act of generosity aligns us with our calling as stewards of God's creation. The same way God said to Adam, I provided this for you, take care of it for me. He says the same thing to you and me every moment of every day. I've provided this for you, take care of it for me. You know what that says? Because God trusts you a lot. Trusts you a lot. Because his way of reaching the world is you. His way of making broken things better is you. Pretty cool if you think about it. He could have done the whole, you know, Thanos finger snap thing. Clearly we're not into comics. But he chose to send you and send me. So I'm going to pray, but here's my encouragement to you this week. Listen to God and talk to him about how we can posture ourselves to be men and women, young people who give life away. And remember that every opportunity we have to give life away, like if I extend my hands to give something to you, how are my hands positioned? To receive something. God's no dummy. My hands are open, God. Lord Jesus, you set the standard. You gave everything to us. And we're so incredibly grateful that in you we, we live and move and have our being, that we not only experience salvation, but the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit to live as your witnesses. Lord, the world tells us to hold on to what we have. You invite us to give it away. Would you talk to us about how you would have us give things away? Give life to others. Because, Lord, we want to do it wisely. 
Bible talks about wise stewards, not dumb stewards. We, we don't just want to indiscriminately throw stuff into the wind, God. We, we want to make investments in people that you were wanting to invest in. So give us the wisdom, the discernment, and then the courage to do it. Because, God, that can be the toughest spot. And any place where anyone is wrestling this morning with fear, Lord, that would hold them back and, and keep them from living into this calling, Holy Spirit, we invite you to break that power of fear with your perfect love that John tells us, casts out fear. Lord, keep leading us. We're going to follow. Thank you for being with us this morning. And Pastor Bernie, as he ministered up north, give him safe travels. On his way back, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.